the only person that can control if you're going to have a good day or a bad day is yourself. Like no, no outside thing. No, no person can dictate what's going to happen. And I super like to this day, like live by that kind of motto is like what you see and what you perceive and how you want to choose to live life and view life and think about your surroundings and your situations is totally up to you. And, and that, that can, can change, change your entire outlook and on life and your relationships and what you choose to look at and focus on. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Life, presented by TLDR Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's episode seven. We've been doing this for seven weeks, and the amount of guests we've had and the amount of life lessons we've learned has been amazing, and I'm so glad to have it on. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Savannah Brown. Savannah was an athlete of mine at SEC, and I've known her for three years because of the uh, multitude of injuries that she's faced. She was an ex-basketball player turned volleyball player, now beach volleyball player. Um, Savannah faced a lot of trauma throughout her childhood and um, kind of shaped her and changed her perspective on life to a point that she's wise beyond her years. It's always an interesting conversation with Savannah um, because her perspective is amazing. She offers a different way of looking at things and it's usually in a positive light and allows me and allows others to be introspective and think about what they think in their perspective. Typically, these episodes talk about life and how different parts of their life happened and in the succession of childhood to adulthood and what they're doing next. This episode is a little bit different. Uh, Savannah starts off talking about her injuries and how that's affected her, but then kind of devolves into perspectives and how she thinks about things. And it's more so about concepts than it is about the progression of her life, which is awesome. I learned a bunch in this. It was a great conversation. Always love talking to Savannah. Hope you guys enjoy too. Savannah Brown, it's very exciting to have you on the podcast today. I've worked with you for um, the last three years, working with your injuries, going through all that struggle, um, and honestly getting to see you grow. So it's been really fun to watch that happen. So it's, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, nice to see you again. You know, it's been too long, so for sure. Oh, I know. <laughs> I think literally the last time I saw you was March of 2020. Yeah, a year yeah. ago. A year Coming ago. Now. Yeah, pretty sad. That's, yeah. <laughs> what have you been up to? What have you been working on? Uh, school, work, and just getting back into beach season now. So that's, that's exciting to get to be an athlete one more semester. So that's a, Yeah. Beach volleyball. How do you like that over regular volleyball? Um, my knees like it a whole lot more. I can, uh, you don't jump as high, you land softer, uh, not as, uh, not as lateral of movements, but they, I mean, they're in the sand. So it's, I don't know, it's overall, I mean, being outside is that's such a cool thing. I've always been in indoor sports my whole life. So being able to be right at the beach, see the ocean, be in the sunshine, can't really complain about it. Yeah, it's true. And the beach is always nice. Uh, just for reference, let's, people don't know you who don't see you. How tall are you? Uh, I'm six one. She's six one, and she's very good at volleyball. And she's very good at basketball. Um, kind of want to talk about that because her injury history with those sports is pretty intense. Uh, and she came back, and she's still playing today, so it's kind of cool. Um, Savannah, if you want to start, whatever you want, whatever hit injury you want to talk about first. I think it was basketball, I believe, right? Yeah. So I started playing basketball when I was in eighth grade. Started with club. Um, went to Orange Lutheran when was in the Trinity League which is kind of one of the most uh, challenging conferences in all of Southern California, let alone probably the United States. Um, we're playing, you know, teams like modern day, Joe Sarah. Um, the freshman year I was on JV, uh, first game of the season, blew out my ACL. Uh, I had no idea what that was or what that even was going to entail for my future. I remember my AT told me, you know, I don't think anything's wrong. Just walk it off. And at that point, my bones weren't like completely aligned. They were still kind of shifted. So when I walked on it, they completely shifted back and I had bone bruising. That was probably one of the most painful things I've experienced. Like from the start was just that bone bruising and you could see on x-ray. It was so bad. And that delayed surgery for me. So I had to wait like two months and, you know, Kaiser, being what it is <laughs> is awful if anyone has Kaiser they now it takes forever to get anything done so yeah two months out in you know it's scary I was I was uh I never had an injury never gone through anything like that and um 
you know, to, it was probably one of the most painful things. I woke up and, you know, the nerve block wore off and I wasn't on top of my pain meds. And I just remember crying my mom and my mom was just terrified because she, you know, it's her baby going through something like this. I'm like 13 years old at the time. Uh, but, and also I had nothing, I had no idea what I was doing at that time. I really didn't understand like sports training or strength training or lifting or agility training never was introduced to any of that. And I was just like this gangly long girl who, you know, I was like six foot, 140 pounds, like so skinny and scrawny. And it was, and it made sense that I got injured. Um, so it kind of threw me into the world of that. And I guess my mindset was, you know, I wanted to get back on the court as soon as possible. It's, you know, a lot of people tell you, oh, it's a career ending injury. And that wasn't an option for me. I grew up doing sports and I, I love sports. So even then the rehab process there, you could still find fun in it. You're still able to be an athlete. You're doing athletic movements as you're rehabbing. Um, came back, uh, for my sophomore season and that was fun. We, I was on varsity and we ended up going to CIF, got a, got to participate in the CIF championship. Um, you know, and I got really heavily into training. I was working with a trainer, um, Cedric and I was with my friend as well, uh, Kylie, and we were, you know, doing intensive, like two to three days a week, um, on top of weightlifting at Olu and that helped a lot, but you know, it doesn't always help everything and genetics play a big factor. And I came back for my junior season first, uh, I'd trained that whole entire summer, putting a lot of work and it was first day back, first practice back. And I just came down from rebound, landed on a teammate's leg and blew out my other ACL. And I just remember, Oh shit. I, I went to the ground and I said, Oh, you know, threw out an F bomb there. And they're like, what's up? And I was like, I tore my other ACL. Like I just immediately knew it's like, it was a, such a familiar feeling that just that pop and that sensation, it was like, there, I, there's no doubt in my mind. Everyone's trying to tell me, Oh, like, don't, don't think worst case scenario. I'm like, Hey, I'm not thinking worst case scenario. This is just the reality of the fact. Like I want surgery and I want to move forward. But for me, I had such a terrible, painful experience the first round that I was just hit with like a floodgate of emotions of, Oh my God, I do not want to go through all of the rehab, all of the pain, all of the, losing all of the muscle, all of the training I had put in for this season. And now I'm behind everyone. And now I have to sit on the bench and again, and watch all of my teammates play a season that I was supposed to like be a big contributor in. So that was, that was really, really difficult. But, you know, thank God I did have awesome teammates and, and coaches that were really supportive of me, but taking that step back. But I would say that my second surgery was by far the most smoothest thing that that had happened, um, in terms of recovery. Cause I had already knew what was going on. I immediately jumped in. I could push myself cause I knew my body could take it, which is the first time it's like, Oh my gosh, my, you know, my, my sutures are going to split open and my knee feels like it's going to split open. It's like, well, that's not, it's going to happen. They're telling you to do it because you can do it. Um, so, you know, I was, and I put in a lot of work. I, I tried to advance as quickly as I could with, within the, you know, the restraints of what the doctors were telling me to do. And, uh, I came back for, um, I, well, I actually didn't come back. So I, I had to sit and watch my, uh, junior year. We went to CIF again. And so I supported my team from, from the uh, sidelines, uh, trained heavily again and wanted to come back my senior season. Uh, and we were probably a month away from actually starting season. And I, um, again, was training hard training with one of my other teammates. Uh, and I just twisted my ankle super gnarly. And it really scared me. It put me out for two weeks and it just scared me to the point where I was like, you know, I don't really see my life at that moment. It was like, I wanted to be a doctor over anything else. And I wanted to go to a school that was all academic based. And I know for a lot of kids and my, I mean, all my friends who went to, to schools to do sports were literally limited in their majors. And I wouldn't have been able to do the major I wanted and play basketball. So at that moment, it made sense for me to, to kind of hang up my Jersey and, and move on. Um, so, I mean, I still was, was an athlete, still worked out a ton, still would play pickup and do whatever I wanted, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to put my, my body and myself in jeopardy again for something that I wasn't going to pursue in, in college. Um, yeah. So, and then that was that, uh, I don't know. Do you want me to talk about how I, you know, was supposed to go into the military and all that? And the yeah, why not? Let's go okay. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, I was actually recruited for, um, Intel through the army. I was supposed to go to Texas A&M. Um, 
and be um, a 35 mic, which is like a, an Intel analyst. Uh, so they were going to send me to Monterey, do my whole uh, second language training. And then you had like a more intensive kind of uh, tactical training as well on top of your basic. Uh, but all that was lined up, supposed to go, didn't apply to any colleges because that's what was supposed to happen. And, you know, months carry on and I'm keep on getting rejected by MEPS, which is their medical clearance processing. And it's a totally separate, and for anyone who doesn't know about it, it's a totally separate entity from the government. So they're contracted out. So if they don't like what they see on you or like physical, if you, if they um, assess you as a risk, a risk, medical risk to the government, um, then they're not going to clear you. So I had to keep going back and keep bringing more medical documentation to prove that I was healthy and that I wasn't going to cost the, the, you know, the government any money for any injuries that they would have to fix on their dime once I was enlisted. And, you know, all my friends are off to college and they're leaving and I'm like, well, shit, like I'm still here. I don't know if this is even going to happen at this point. Uh, I'm just gonna, I guess, apply to a community college. And I keep in mind that this was like, this hit my ego hard. Cause I was like, man, I went to Olu and they only promoted four-year colleges, four-year universities. Like you're a nobody if you go to community college. And so I was like, you know, well, what am I supposed to do? I guess I'll just apply and go. Applied and go. And it, I mean, and keep in mind, this turns out to be the best decision I've ever made. If I could do my whole life over again, I would do the same exact thing. I actually absolutely loved. I would stay all four years at SEC if I could. But, um, so yeah, go to SEC and I'm in my classes and I'm like, well, I've only been an athlete my whole life. That's the only way I had any friends was, you know, they were my teammates. SEC doesn't have a basketball team. So naturally I was like, well, volleyball, I guess, you know, I've played volleyball here and there, you know, <laughs> let me, let me walk on the team and see if he'll even take me. And I walk on the team and he throws me into practice uh, the following week. And I remember it was like my first or second day. And then the following day on Friday, we had a game and I started in it, which isn't a huge deal because keep in mind, this team at SEC was very small, very limited, and we had very limited talent. So, you know, if you, if you're an athlete in one sport, you could go to, go to volleyball, but it was, so I don't, I'm not going to like overshadow my athletic ability. You know, it's not like I'm like this insane athlete, but uh, it was a super fun experience being able to jump into volleyball. And I think I, I would like to say I picked it up really quickly and I really enjoyed it. And it makes me wish I would have done it in high school. Um, and for sure, my favorite part was I remember walking into the AT and I was like, these these people here, James and Kelsey, are just like my ATs in high school and they're not going to know shit about what they're doing. And I walked in with the most shitty attitude and thank God James and Kelsey, you know, didn't, didn't take it the wrong way. And y'all are awesome for sure. You guys are the coolest people. Some of the coolest people I've ever met for sure in my entire life and have the pleasure of knowing you guys are awesome and fantastic at your job. You're both doing what you're supposed to be doing for sure. Um, Appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that, so that'll segue, you know, into my, sophomore season I we had a new coach um and she was cool she was super intense and you know ran our program like d1 she wanted it d1 level and so we were working hard and with the uh issue was we had limited girls and I was thrown into the middle which was a hard position for me and my body because it's a lot of lateral movement and uh, as a result I blew out my right ACL for a second time and I remember I don't know, James, yeah, I don't know. if you want to pitch in on your, your memory of that too, you're welcome to, but I, I don't know. My memory is it happened and I was just like, yeah, I tore my ACL. Like that's what it was. I called my dad, told him, you know, and they, thank God knew what they were doing. And just, I was just sent right upstairs. You guys had me on, you know, my leg elevated, had me on STEM and I remember Kelsey was just like on the phone with her fellow at Kaiser and shit. Two weeks later I had, I was in for surgery. Yep. That was, you were the most calm person who ever tore their ACL. You literally, you jumped, came down, went down, stayed down. I walked over and you're like, I tore my ACL. No emotion whatsoever. Walked you over to the bench, tested it. Sure shit, it was gone. And then you're like, yeah, I'm going to call my dad. And I'm like, sounds good to me. And that was it. That yeah, was so yeah, simple, I mean, so easy. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I guess I was a veteran. I do remember making a joke. I was like, you know, well, it's about time. It's about every two years. So I was past <laughs> due here. I was past due for my third ACL. <laughs> yeah, for but, but yeah, so I mean, yeah, third ACL. And it was strictly business. And you guys were awesome. Like, I knew, I also felt more confident than I had been 
because I knew what I was getting into and I knew you guys were going to be there for me through the whole entire process. So it was more exciting to, to be able to rehab with you guys and, and really, you know, jump back into this volleyball career. Cause again, I, I third ACL tear, you know, still not a career ending injury for me, like still want to <laughs> get back into it. It's, you know, I mean, we live in, you know, modern day medicine. It's like you that they had this, the whole fear of, Oh, you're going to have arthritis. You're going to need your knee replaced when you're older. And, well, I have utmost faith, faith in science and advancements. Like that's, that's a thing to worry about in the future. Not now. Don't, don't let things like that interrupt how you live your life now and do what you want to do now. It also keeps you heavily involved in staying active. Like I will never be out of shape or be inactive because I can't like my knees just, you know, if I want them to work properly when I'm older, like you gotta, gotta take care of your body. So I'm also very grateful for that and the mindset that that's um, led me to have. But my third surgery was for sure the most excruciating pain I've ever had in my entire life. Um, I go in for surgery and I had the same anesthesiologist that I've had for the, the last two or the last surgery. And before they did a nerve block kind of in your growing area and it, um, it numbs your entire leg. You can't feel anything. And this time they're trying a new nerve block. Cause they said, Oh, you don't need to nerve block your whole leg. So they did it closer to my knee more in my like kind of upper quad area and, or lower. Yeah. Like just right above the knee, like five inches above the knees where they did it. And I just remember, I was like, this is kind of weird. Like I'm watching him like stick the pro like, or um, give me an ultrasound, like kind of find where he's going to insert it. And I see him do it and administer the nerve block. And he's like, Oh yeah, it's an, it's a new kind of, thing that we're pursuing it's a new nerve block I'm like okay cool I totally trust you guys like this is your job right going for surgery and I surgery finishes up they take me off you know the the gas the gas sure yeah take me off gas and I almost immediately like wake up like prematurely wake up because I'm in so much pain the nerve block had failed and I just remember it was like a blackout pain just writhing and I can barely get words out and all I remember is a bunch of nurses just rushing over and arguing over how many cc's of what to stick into my, to my IV. And that probably lasted for like 10 minutes. I want to say the pain until like the, the pain meds finally kicked in and I was able to, to talk coherently and say like, okay, yeah, the pain level is much more manageable now. But man, I was like, thank God my mom, my mom couldn't make it to surgery that day. I was like, thank God she is not here. because She would have been, oh man, she would have been stressed the hell out. So you know, little blessings here and there for stuff like that. But um, yeah, worst pain ever. And then after that, it was pretty much smooth sailing. You know, I jumped right in it with you guys and got back to to participating in my third season at SEC. Um, I unfortunately at OCC, when we were playing a game, we we're just warming up. I my knee just like shifted weird, and I was like, no, this isn't right. And uh, so I do have a torn meniscus and I still play with the torn meniscus now. I'm not going to get it fixed. Maybe, maybe I should get it fixed before I get off my parents' insurance. So that'll be like, <laughs> you know, maybe I should get it, but as of now, it's not causing me any pain. So like maybe get through this, this season in the summer and figure out when I want to, when I want to do it. But, but yeah, so that's my, uh, that's my journey for injuries. <laughs> there was also that one time, that I had to send to the hospital because your blood glucose is all over the place. Oh, remember yeah. that? Put you on oxygen. Yeah, yeah. I do remember <laughs> do you want that. To, do you want to describe that one too? <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, we were playing, it was against Santa Ana and we were doing good. We were, I felt like we were going to win that set. We were going to win that match. Um, and I just remember my legs started to go numb. My lips went numb and I was dealing with what I was dealing with the intercostal injury on my, yeah. on my side at that time. And I just remember I was like, I kind of fell after like we were transitioning on a block and I just was so disoriented. And I just went up to James and I was like, dude, I cannot, like things are going numb. I just, I don't, I don't feel good. And I, I don't know, everything just kind of went like, oh my God, I like am struggling to breathe and I'm freaking out a little bit. So oxygen went to the hospital. It was a basovagal syncope. So, you know, it wasn't a huge, huge ordeal, but yeah, that was scary for sure. Cause I was like, I don't know what's going on with my body. Just everything is numb. So that was crazy. You know, but I'll, <laughs> yeah, it was just crazy. But, but yeah, I mean, I was like, I trust you guys. You guys are like, I'm not going to die. Uh, the hospital's probably going to say I'm not going to die. So, you know, and yeah, if your I mom do die, got freaked I, out more than you did. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, my parents. I was just, I was like, I'm like the one game my parents go to, like the one game they have to be there for that. Like, I felt so bad. But, you know, I don't know. I was like, if I do die, you know, I've had a good run. So it's like, can't really be worried about what you can't control. Right. So, wow. Mindset. That's huge in your life. <laughs> yeah, uh, so for sure. I want I to talk about like your rehab process. And I mean, like, the fact of the matter is, you didn't play very many athletic contests in high school. I think no. you had maybe a season. You tore one ACL and then you tore the other one the next after rehab was done in the first practice. So what did you ever think that this is it? I'm done. Like my body is not fit to participate in sports. Um, no, <laughs> I mean, I guess everyone told me that everyone told me that my dad told me that my mom told me that all my friends told me that my sister told me that they say you're stupid for returning to sports. You're stupid for wanting to even try. Like you just, your body is not made to handle, I don't know, sports or what it can do. It's like, I, I can jump. I had a, I had a decent bird. I was, you know, solidly athletic, but it was just like, I, when it came to landing it, my body was like, well, no, loosey goosey everywhere. So, um, but yeah, I know it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing to be told by everyone that you can't do something. I don't know. It made me kind of want to do it more, I guess, you know, like, well, <laughs> I'll show you, I'll show you, you know, it's like, I can still play sports. I can still do what I want to do. And at the end of the day, it's like, they can't control me. It is my body. It is my, my, uh, my life. So they chose to be supportive after I, you know, told them no enough times. Also, I was like, guys, you're giving me bad juju here. Like, don't, don't project that into the ether. So it'll happen. You know, I was like such negative mindsets about everything. So, which is funny too. It's like, it's funny how people want to be negative about things that don't even affect their life really. I'm like, yeah, okay. Maybe I understand my dad affects his pocketbook a little bit, you know, but other than, other than that, it's like, you know, I don't, I, it was a weird, it was a weird concept for, for people to be so negative about just wanting to play sports. Do but, you miss the support early on? The support of what? Sorry. Your friends and family for um, like not having your back. Cause you said they didn't support you. They didn't want you to play sports anymore. Oh yeah. So is that tough? Um, it was God, I want to, I want to say it really wasn't, it was more just like frustrating. It was like, man, I don't want to hear you say that to me anymore. Like, I just, I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, let me do it. Like, I don't need your support, but I don't need your, I don't need your, you know, just being different about it. Like, don't be so negative all the time about it. And you think the majority of what gets you through life is positive mindset, right? For sure. I mean, I remember my, uh, my parents are go, like going through a divorce when I was in fifth grade. And my teacher told me, she said, you know, the only person that can control if you're going to have a good day or a bad day is yourself. Like no, no outside thing. No, no person can dictate what's going to happen. And I super like to this day, like live by that kind of motto is like what you see and what you perceive and how you want to choose to live life and view life and think about your surroundings and your situations is totally up to you. And, and that can change your entire outlook and on life and your relationships and what you choose to look at and focus on. Oh, I love that. How long did it take you to develop that mindset? Were you always like that? I want to say I was, I was from a young age. I mean, I went through a lot of shit in my childhood. Um, my mom was, was bedridden and, and hospitalized for a majority of my childhood. Um, I thought she was going to die when I was in like eighth grade. I remember I was in Catalina Island and uh, and I got a call. Uh, I was on like a school trip. And I got a call like your mom's um, uh, in emergency surgery. Like they don't, they don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just like, well, I'm stranded on an Island. <laughs> like, like, great. Fantastic. But it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you can't control it. You just hope for the best. You just hope that, you know, I'll be able to come home and see my mom. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing that I had to learn early on was just like, you never know what was going to happen. So it was like, we can't worry about or be upset about things you can't control. I think that's oh. a huge thing in life. It's like, you can't, well, people think that they can control a lot of things in life, but I would say 99.9% .9 of things are so out of your control. You can't control what the person next to you going to do, the weather, whatever it may be, you cannot control it. It's like you control the few actions you do, but life's going to take you on its course and its journey. And you just kind of got to find ways to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Do you ever lose that mindset in times that are super, super tough? Are you ever just like super frustrated because stuff didn't go your way and then you, you can't flip it? Has that ever happened to you? Not thankfully, not yet. <laughs> and I hope it never does. I hope it never does. I think I've, you can come close. You can come close to, to situations where you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I think COVID was hard for me. It was hard. I'm such a, 
I love like interpersonal experiences and I love being with professors and chatting with professors and having that relationship. And I feel like with COVID and going online, like OCHEM for me was such a struggle and it was hard just being at home doing nothing and like doing this online school where I felt like I wasn't getting the most out of my education. It's like, I take, I would like to think like college is not for getting a letter grade. It's for, you know, content retention and to not get the most you can out of a class that's, you know, pivotal in, in your career is, is super challenging. That was challenging for me. It was like having a mindset where it's like, well, I don't know how to change it. And I just felt stuck. I didn't feel know what to do. But outside so of that, you, you know, I, I don't know. I finished the course, you know, it was yeah. like, I mean, one day I hope I can go back and, you know, take OCHEM again and, and, you know, enjoy it more so than I did. Cause I, I love the first semester of it, but the second semester was brutal online for sure. So with COVID and everything like you had just mentioned and missing that interpersonal communication and the relationship with others, what did you do in quarantine? Cause you're you know, supposed to be quarantined. What'd you do to have that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had, I was thankful to have, you know, I have a really tight knit um, group of friends and I also have one of my good friends living with me. Um, Right. at the moment so I was easy to stay connected with people we just had like our little four group that we would just kind of hang out and be with also you know and I've seen my parents and my sister but I you know I thankfully well I didn't really miss out too much on the interpersonal communication because I am in the, the, the service industry so restaurants I was uh always around people 24 7 mm-hmm. even you know it was shut down a little bit not so much but but with the quarantine, I wasn't, I guess I wasn't technically quarantining. So, you know, not doing my, but dollar, dollar bill y'all. Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing for work right now? You said you were working uh, in the service industry. Yeah. So I was working at, I just work at a, a restaurant. Um, I don't know if I should like name drop here, but I actually just, just moved to different restaurants because, you know, I'm at the, I was making really good money at the last one, but I am living by the motto, um, minimum over misery. So yeah, mm. yeah, I was not enjoying my, my place there. And, you know, life's too short to like stay somewhere just because it's a, it's a good paycheck, <laughs> uh, which is, which is, I find well, my coworkers are talking about like, why we come to work and like, I effing hate this place. Like this place sucks. It's miserable. X, Y, and Z. But I'm like, why do you stay? Well, well the money's so good. I'm like, well, if you're here so much time of your week, why would you be miserable just for money? It's like just such a weird concept to me that I just didn't understand. So I was like, you know, what? I'm, I'm, I'm getting out, getting out of this place. Wow. So you're the type of person that has more stock in adventures and experiences rather than material things. Yes. Yeah. I would, I live a very minimal lifestyle. I probably have five shirts and you know, a few <laughs> pairs of jeans and I wear the same things over and over again. Cause I like what I like and I don't see the, the functionality in having more than, than what you need for sure. And I'd rather much rather spend uh, my, my money on, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like material things wear out. And I think that's why I love education and knowledge and learning and all that stuff and experiences and memories. Cause that's one thing that no one can ever take away from you. I mean, give it dementia or whatever, Alzheimer's, but your memories and, and your mindset and, and memory, you know, whatever you, is important to you mentally and that you can keep and like your kind of like memory vault in your mind is something that can never be taken away from you. How do you feel about the concept that it's been proven, I think, but the concept that your memory fails you often. So just like eyewitness reports, they're never that correct because your memory will change over time. So how do you feel about that? I love that. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that plays a big role into, to relationships that we have with people and, and to keep in mind that idea that, we all, while we're human beings and we all live this like shared existence as human beings, our, our unique like life experience is so individual and alone. Like we, no one will ever understand, live or see life the way that you see it. Like we can all be seeing the same event, live through the same event. And we will all remember different things and experience different things. And I think that's super important to keep in mind with relationships with others and have sympathy and try to listen and understand where someone is coming from. Cause it's like, we can get so clouded by what we think is right. And what we think is the, the true thing, but everyone's mind and the way we see reality is completely different. So it's like to communicate openly with others and keep kind of that mindset that, you know, everyone around us is living a different reality or, or perceiving a different reality and, and to listen and try to understand from their point of view is super mm-hmm. crucial to having a healthy relationship. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. At the end of the day, we're all like, we're on this little piece of rock floating through space. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just perspective matters for each and every person. It does. But then you also have to see from their side too. You can't just see from your side, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody's a human being, you got to care for them all. For sure, yeah. And it's, it's a hard thing to do and it takes practice to do, but but relationships significantly improve when you can say, okay, I'm going to set aside my ego and what I think is right and listen to, to what they think is right in their reality of events and what, what has happened. So how did you work toward finding that part of your mindset of your philosophy of life? Oh, man, I don't know. I think it's, it's been something that's happened through the years. Um, you know, having people that me and my sister butted heads a lot, you know, growing up and we, we both, I'm a very like logical thinker. I would say I put to my detriment a lot. Sometimes I think I put logic first before emotion and she's very emotional, but without logic. So it's like learning to kind of balance that and, and have, you know, civilized discussions when we were in, we were in high school, we, you know, hate each other's guts and couldn't do that. But as we get older, you get, you know, you get better at communicating and saying, okay, this person is, is significantly different from me. Let me like set apart my ego and like the need to be right all the time and say like, okay, let me listen to you and what you have to say and try to just, while I might never understand where she's coming from, I can try to understand and empathize with what she is saying. You know, you don't have to agree with it, but you, you know, to, to be kind and loving and compassionate is something that I think you should do for sure. What do you think it was much harder to do with your sibling than it was to do with a stranger on the street? Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't have to do with your sibling, your sibling's blood, right? It's like, it's not, you know, it's a, you know, Oh, the whole idea is like, she's going to love me unconditionally. I don't, I don't really think that that's, um, that that's a valid idea. Like the unconditional love, I think, you know, your family is, you choose your family, your blood isn't have anything to do with your family at all. You have a toxic family who is terrible to you. Like why should you have unconditional love towards that person? Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't think you should. Right. I like the concept of choosing your family though. Yeah. If you want to talk about more about that, how did you come to that, to that conclusion about your life? Um, you know, I've, my, my dad, his family, he was, you know, he's pretty grown up in Illinois and was white trash completely, you know, his, his mom was awful and his siblings were awful. Like he's, he doesn't have a relationship with them to this day. And so I never had family from his side and my mom's side. Um, I don't have any cousins or, and, um, her sister is, um, uh, handicapped. So she, you know, never had kids either, um, so we have a very, very small family and it was always like my godparents were my parents' best friends growing up. And we had a close relationship with them because they said, Hey, you know, if we're going to be these godparents, like we want to know them and be part of their family. And that was, that, that to me was an early show of this is family by choice. This is family of, we want to be a part of your life because we care and we love about you. That's choosing your family, you know? Um, and all my friends in my life, you know, I, I say it all the time, but I'm like, I am a firm believer. I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. You know, it's just quality relationships that you can put time to and enjoy over having, you know, a multitude of friends that you need, you know, you need to have or a big friend group and that you can, I was like, how do you spend quality time or really get to know someone for me? It's, I don't know. I don't quite understand it, but yeah, I love the, the quality interpersonal of choosing your family. Using your family for sure. What characteristics do you look for when you surround yourself with people? Oh man, I, for me, a a big one is, is just positive. You gotta be a positive person. I don't want to sit there. I don't want to gossip with you. I don't want to dwell on negative things and, or have an unhealthy mindset. If you, you know, or, Oh, I don't, I'm depressed or I feel bad. I'm like, I totally understand like depression and all those things, but to not do anything about it, not actively pursue wanting to feel better or do what you can to make yourself feel better or better yourself. You're like, Oh, I don't like this about myself. And all you do is complain about it. Like, why do you, you can, I'm like, that's like the coolest thing about life is you can be literally anyone you want to be. Like you can be any person or see the world, however you want to see it. And it's totally your choice. So it's like, I will never, I only gravitate towards people who have that kind of positive mindset and want to live their life in a positive way and experience everything that life has to offer all the good things. So if you're down for anything, if you're down for, you know, 
outside, going on a hike, snowboarding, whatever it may be. Like, I want to go out and I want to do things. I don't want to just sit at home or spend a bunch of money on, well, I don't know, X, Y, and Z, but <laughs> yeah. What would you tell somebody who is constantly in that negative loop, but is looking to change into a positive mindset? Like what advice would you give to them? Oh man. Um, you know, it's hard. Cause I, I, it's hard for me to like give advice. Cause you know, I was, I was in my, my sociology class and it was interesting. Uh, they're talking about how everyone is born with a genetic set point. And it's, it's the whole idea is like, everyone is, genetically more inclined to be happy or dishappy. Like a lot of people can fall on the scale of high times where they're happy all the time. Like no matter what, they rarely feel sad. And then there's the opposite scale where people are born more on the, on the depressive state and it's hard for them to feel happy. So it's, it's, I, I feel very blessed because I do feel like I fall on that for sure high point. Like it's, it's a lot of mindset, but also I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to like kind of set the line of, where my mindset and where genetically how I view and how I think about things and how I process things has helped me with that. So it's hard to give advice to to people who are completely different from me and their mind works completely different. You know, this is just how I've been able to live my life, but it's hard to, you know, to tell someone else how to do it when they, their brain works completely differently from yours. But I don't know. I, I would just say, don't give up, like keep trying what you can try, try journaling, try, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to have to walk through life and figure out what works for you and yourself. Cause I think it's hard to, you can listen to people give you advice all day long, but at the end of the day, it's kind of your journey and it's something that you that's, but that's also the fun part. Like you have to look at it as the fun part of life of this is my journey to experience and walk through and figure out for myself. And you kind of have to learn to find the joy and, and maybe even in the frustrations, there's joy of, okay, that didn't work for me. Like, um, let's move on to the next. Like, let's see what's going to work for me and, and bringing my life to the point where I want to be at. Wow. That's so cool. How long did it take you to figure out what you liked? Um, I think it was just like a kind of a gradual progression. I, it was funny. I mean, I'm so different than I was in high school. I, I was so, you know, AP science kid who, you know, was in sports and I didn't, I didn't party. I didn't, you know, I didn't date. I didn't do anything like that. I had one friend or two friends and me and her would like Friday night, Netflix and puzzles. Like that's what we did. You know, so, (laughs) and I was so, I was so introverted. I didn't talk. I really didn't talk to anyone. And then it's funny now because I'm like, you know, when I got to college, I kind of more so found who I was and became comfortable with myself and you get thrown more into the real world of how things was. I think I was really kind of in this, this private school bubble my entire life and to kind of like go out and have the freedoms and, and, you know, be able to drive and do what I want to do. And like, Oh my gosh, like I'm, you know, actually an adult now and you kind of find who you are and who you want to be. And I mean, I don't know now, you know, I'm like, I'm pretty, pretty extroverted. I have no problem talking. Oh, very to much so. <laughs> I have no problem yeah. talking to anyone and giving my opinion and jumping in where I want to say something. So yeah. I mean, I, I mean, and I've learned to really just grow to love people. Like I love people. I love talking to people. I want to hear your life story. I want to hear your mindset. It super fascinates me. Just, just how everyone thinks differently and how everyone sees things differently. I see that with you so often um, asking people what they think and then taking that into account. It's not, you don't judge them. You don't ask them for, for their perspective and like shame them for thinking the way they think you take it into account and you measure it up against yours to see if, what you can take from their perspective and influence your, yours. It's really cool to see. Uh, yeah, of course. I just wanted to throw it out there real fast. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's to be, to be closed off and think that your way is the right way is, is um, a super fallacious way of thinking. And I don't think it'll get you very far in life. Uh, we don't know everything. No one will ever know everything. And the more you're open to listening to new facts and new ideas and new perspectives, I think the more you're able to grow as a person and be better off for it. Oh, very much so. 100% agree. Everything's ever expanding. So is your mind. You're not the same person as you were yesterday. Like you just mentioned, things change. You got to go with the flow or change yourself. You can't be the same person all the time. It's impossible. Yeah, not at all. Uh, One more thing before we take a quick break here. When I had Riss on the podcast a couple of weeks ago for her interview, she had mentioned whenever she feels sad or negative, she allows herself to feel that sadness before pushing it away and then making the decision to do something more positive for her. 
whenever you go through periods of negative thoughts or negative emotions, what do you do with it? I totally agree with Chris. Like that's a super healthy way to, to deal with life. When I was younger, I never really had an outlet for, for things like that. So it was always suppression and never really, you know, letting myself feel away away. When you're a kid, you're, you have to figure that out for yourself. And as I've um, become an adult, you have to allow yourself to feel those ways and then analyze why you're feeling that way and what you can do to change that or, you know, but, it, but to, to just suppress it and say, well, no, I'm not going to feel that way. It's like, well, that's invalidating, you know, the human experience and, and how your brain works and emotions. And at the end of the day, if you don't, if you don't validate it, you can't reason and, and logic logically evaluate why you feel that way and how you can change that. So totally agree. Totally agree that you need, you need to let yourself feel, feel things. Wow. Yep. Definitely. Feeling is good. Everybody don't suppress it. Feeling is good. Let yourself feel you're it. good. Men should cry. Like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Men have emotion too. I can attest yes, to that. Yes, exactly. I'm like, it is a masculine thing to cry, men. Like, make it happen. It should happen. You know, don't. Yeah. And it's, 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 I love like being a part of, you know, people are like, oh, if you could live at any time, I'm like, I would live now, here and now. This is the coolest time to live. Only one as a, as a woman in the United States, we have the most freedoms we've ever had, but also this whole idea of kind of like breaking gender norms and the, the, the typical responsibilities that men and women are supposed to have or supposed to feel it's like everyone's been put in this box and you have to fit in this box. And it's like, well, that's not how it is anymore. And it's really, I think our society now is super on track of promoting kind of just more of a healthier psychological relationships with yourself. And that so, so much so carries over into your relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Definitely 100%. If you don't fix yourself, if you're not cool with yourself, it's not, you're not going to be attractive or cool to anybody else. Exactly. I'm like, God, you got to really, you got, I'm like, you should love yourself. How is anyone else going to love you if you don't like being with yourself? Yep. This is cool. Cause last week I had Jeremiah who said the exact same thing. It's just yeah. a reoccurring thing that happens throughout this podcast. You got to love yourself first. For sure. So important. Yep. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to dive deeper into Savannah's life philosophy, her childhood, and what she wants to do with her life. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning back in. As I'd mentioned earlier, we'd, we're going to kind of dive into Savannah's childhood. She had mentioned in the first part of this interview that her childhood was a little traumatic and it kind of shaped her philosophy and her life story to what it is today. So I'm going to let Savannah just go ahead and take it take it away. Um, yeah, so I kind of touched a little bit on how my mom um, got really sick when I was younger. Um, God, I was I want to say I was in second or third grade and we had come back from Mexico and she just felt super ill, like didn't know what was going on with her. Um, we went to the hospital or she went to the hospital and she was ultimately diagnosed with Crohn's and colitis. Um, we don't know really what caused it. If it was like something, you know, something she ate or whatever triggered it. I don't know if anyone knows about, you know, Crohn's or colitis, but they say, you know, it's, it, it there's a trigger that kind of happens and then you, it, onsets. Um, but she was hit really hard by it, rocked by it. Um, for a few years she was, she was bedridden. Uh, couldn't do much, was really lethargic, was in and out of the hospital all the time. So I just remember like a big part of my childhood was, you know, get dropped off at school by a friend, get picked up, dropped off at the hospital, spend a few hours at the hospital. My dad would get off work, pick us up. And, you know, that was kind of our night. Um, so a lot of help out there. A lot of like weird transitions of different schools and you know we were we went to a public school for like a little bit of second grade and came back and ended up at, at our private school where we kind of stayed up for the for the rest of our life it was, it was kind of a fun little small community with like 13 kids in my class um but it was weird you know it's weird having your mom be sick all the time and i just remember when i was young all these kids could have their parents go on field trips and were super involved in everything they did. And I just remember, I was like, you know, and they would complain about it. They'd be like, Oh, I just hate that my mom, you know, is on this field trip or doing this with me. And like, she's so annoying. I'm like, Oh man, like you don't know how lucky you are to have a mom that can like be able to, to do anything with you, let alone get out of bed. Like, you know, it's just, I think that was for me, like the first part 
like the first thing in my life that was like everything's so much about perspective and like keeping the loved ones that you have close and I don't know, and value, valuing your time that you have with people because people can be so cruel, especially the ones that they love and you don't really realize it. So I think that was kind of a pivotal moment of um, the way I viewed the world um, at that time too. And I, my dad, you know, I discovered my dad's infidelity on my mother. So, and I don't know, it was weird. I was like third grade, you know, third, fourth grade. And I felt like compelled to, to hide that from her. Cause you know, I didn't, I didn't want her to get hurt, I guess, you know, it's, it was, it was for sure a weird, a weird feeling and a weird justification, I guess, for a child to have, um, and to like, for me to like carry that burden and take it on. And, and so, yeah, I did that. Um, you know, she found out two years later, you know, browser history, you can't clear it all and can't keep up on all of it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, it was funny too. Cause it, the cognitive dissonance of my mother, she found out and she was like, I remember she called me and my sister into the living room and just like chastised us for like looking at the stuff because my dad denied it. And we're like, you know, like, they, like weird, <laughs> like we, we for sure did not do that. Like this is your, you know, this is, you know, I had to like tell her the reality of like, yo, this is, you know, not, not us. So, you know, things are rocky, moved in and out. Um, all, he moved in and out of the house a bunch of times, but at the end of the day, it's like they finally settled on moving out and uh, things were a lot better for sure. Appreciated. You know, it's like the whole idea of, Oh, your parents stay together for the kids. It's like biggest, biggest advice I can give to anyone is, is even in, in if you have a relationship, you have kids never stay together for your kids. Like they're, they're not going to have a view of what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. Instead, they're just going to see two unhappy adults in this like weird relationship that makes everyone unhappy in the household. And it's so much healthier to have parents that divorce, separate and can now co-parent and children can experience their parents in a, both a happy state and enjoying life the way that they want to live their life. My parents totally have super different mindsets. My mom is like a like super religious woman and my dad is not at all. My dad's like super liberal, like super, like, you know, he likes to party and call him living largely. So it's just, it's funny, you know, it was like, how are you guys ever married? You know, and it's like, it's so funny though, but I'm like, I'm glad they're divorced because I get to enjoy the best parts of both of them separate. A question real fast. Yeah. When the divorce happened, how did you feel about that initially for the first couple of months after the fact, were you sad or did you already have that mindset that, Hey, this is a good thing? Um, God, I don't, it was, it was funny. Cause I, it was when my parents were kind of like, you know, thinking about divorce that my teacher had told me that thing that I talked about earlier about how, you know, you only control your happiness. Mm-hmm. And so I think I did, I, I did struggle a bit. Cause it's like, obviously you don't want to see, you know, um, a big part too, is my mom, I think I had to grow up really quick. My mom is a super kind, loving person, but she's extremely emotional and and come to me and I'm like I'm like 12 years old it's like why am I why are you telling me all these things and crying to me like I'm uh, you're you're burdening like a child now with like an adult caretaker role almost of of having to I was really forced into a position to like oh my god I have to sit down and like logically reason with this woman and and help her out and help her through what she's feeling and so from a young age I I had to like kind of take on that role. And I think it comes back to like the whole genetic thing of, of a set point of, I for sure saw things a lot more logically than my mom did. And I was much more logically driven than emotion. Like I said, which has its down points. And, but I think for the childhood that I experienced, it helped me out a lot and it, and it got me through it with, without feeling any resentment. Um, and it's funny too, because a lot of people are like, oh, like you must've hated your dad. Like you must've hated him with all your guts, like to do that to your mom. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I saw, I saw the reality, like even like now I see the reality for what it was. It's like, my mom was super sick and she wasn't religious, super religious before this. And she turned, you know, in her sickness to, to something higher than her. So she turned to Christianity and just became completely different from the woman that my dad had married. And I, I kind of saw it for what it was. It was like, you can't blame my dad for, they were both unhappy, like people struggling with things. It's like, you can't blame him for turning to other things or other people to find, 
you know, what he was missing now in that marriage. So it's like, yeah, they both, they both had a part in it. And it wasn't just him that ruined the relationship. It was, it was just a lot of unfortunate events that had occurred to kind of like separate them. But that's how, you know, like that's, that's a weird and scary part of life. It's like, you really don't, again, you don't have like a lot of control over events that happen and, you know, the course they're going to take. But I think both of them lacked uh, for what I saw too, was communication. And that, that brought me to, to a big part of what I value in relationships today is communication. It's like that to be openly and overly communicative is so, so essential to having a healthy relationship. All it takes you to develop that. That takes a lot of practice. A lot. It's, yeah. You're vulnerable. Like they yeah. take you a long time to become vulnerable enough to share whatever you're feeling with your partner or just your friends. Yeah. I mean, it was funny because I, when I was younger, I never shared anything that was happening in my life. You know, I never would have talked about any of this to anyone. And, and now I'm just like, you know, we all, I just, you know, you come to realize like everyone goes through their own shit in their life and has all of their own problems. And again, like I said, all of the things I experienced as a child were like, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Like all of that was out of my control. And that's just a human experience. Like to be able to share that and talk to someone and be like, Hey, this is everything I feel, everything I've experienced. And it can not only shed light onto how you feel about certain situations and why, why you view things a certain way, you know, but it enlightens people to what you've gone through and, and you can, they can empathize with you now and, and rationalize why you are the way you are and wh- how you see the things the way you see. Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned that you wouldn't, basically what you're saying is that you wouldn't have changed anything because it made you who you are today and you're happy with who you are today. For but sure. playing devil's advocate here, if there is one thing you could have changed from your childhood, just one thing, what would it be and why? <sighs> one thing. I, I mean, I honestly couldn't say I would, I would want to change anything. Like nothing really comes to mind about things I would change, go back and do differently or, you know. Okay. On the flip side yeah, of that, so- <laughs> it's okay. On the flip side of that, what is one thing that, what is one scenario that has greatly influenced you today from your past? Man, I mean, all of it, all of it really has. It's, it's so many things that compound on top of each other to make you who you are. I don't think it's anything that's maybe for a lot of people that they'll, they'll go through like something super traumatic that like totally changes the way they see the world. But I think it was just, you know, a compound of things that that brought me to where I am today and that's why I wouldn't change any of it because I'm just I, as much as and as shitty as things are it's like you have to be you look back and be thankful for things you know you're thankful for for everything for what everything has brought you and brought you to and just looking at it in a positive light bad bad things happen to you find the positive yeah, into I don't it. Know. yeah it makes sense yeah yeah I mean, uh, and, well, and that's the beauty of life is like, if you live a perfect life, how boring is that? You know, there's no, there's no challenge. There's no, you know, pursuit of, of making yourself better or understanding things better. It's, it's, I mean, where's the, where's the free will and in, in perfection. So. Yeah. And that leads into the concept that the world happens and your feelings happen, happen through opposites. Like you don't know good if there's no bad, you don't know how there's no cold. You have to experience the good in order to experience the bad. Yeah. You have no measurable set point. You have no measurable things to say, Oh my God, this is so good because I've experienced the bad. Mm -hmm. And so you treasure the good that much more. And then you learn from the bad that much more because you know the opposites of it. Yeah. Uh, Really cool. I like how we're agreeing. We're on the same vibe. It's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do want to talk about how, when I first met you, you had talked about becoming a doctor and real fast. I wanted to, ask you if the thing with your mom which is new to me i had no idea but going to the hospital so often and spending so much time there did that influence your want to become a doctor or was it purely monetary no it it for sure heavily influenced what i wanted to do i mean if i was to be a doctor i would still be a gastroenterologist which is you know what doctors were around me constantly for my mother um i just i found it super interesting i was around it all the time i understand it i can empathize with it um also, I think it's in, in terms of science and where we're moving, I'm such a hands-on person. Like I want to, I want to, you know, cut into a person, get my hands all up in them and like really like work with my hands. And I don't want to be behind a, a computer or a screen and working a robot. And I think that's kind of going to be one of like the last 
with how, how much technology and science is, is advancing and moving forward, I think that's kind of going to be one of the last things that moves into like robotics. So that was also a big driving, driving point for me as well. But my mom actually has them. So the emergency surgery she went into was for, for an ileostomy bag, which is like, you know, mm. so you're, yeah. For people who don't know, you know, your colon is, your large intestine is removed. And then now your colon is um, kind of like flipped inside out on your stomach. And it makes like a, a stoma and you have a bag that sits on it that collects all of your waste. Um, so you no longer use the bathroom like a normal person, but it's super cool because you know, modern medicine, she's alive today. As much as it, as she says, it sucks. I'm like, Hey mom, like you're alive today because of that thing. Like it's pretty awesome. What made you want to switch and become a doctor? Now you want to do something different, right? Yeah, it was weird. I was like such, I was like such on a roll, like before COVID hits, like I was tagged into UCI. Like I was going there for biology was going to happen. And then COVID hit. And I was like, man, everything went online. I was doing great in OCHEM. And then it went online and I was like, I just am not learning anywhere near I was. And so I dropped it. Cause I was like, I just am not, I was hopeful that, you know, this whole pandemic thing was going to be a, a short little thing. And we'd come back, you know, kind of like the wildfires at school, you know, it's like, Oh, campus is closed. <laughs> campus is closed for a few days. We're going to come back, you know, and like, that's, that's not how it was at all, obviously. So then I was kind of forced to finish up my, my OCHEM online and I don't know, they give you being home alone and, and kind of thinking about the world and how it changes. And again, you have no control over so much of things, um, what I valued. And I don't know, as I got older, I, I love traveling and I love being outside. And, and when I was younger, used, I used to want to be wealthy and to, to have like this insane disposable income. And, you know, it was like gastroenterology really enticed me because it was like, you know, median salary was like 500K a year. Which is, yeah, which is a huge chunk of change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now that I'm older, you kind of realize what you want. It's like, I don't need to live nor have that lifestyle. Like I just want to travel and enjoy the people and experience those things with people I love. And you don't need to have, you know, um, that amount of income to do any of that. And I, I mean, a part of me too, is like, I love, I love school and I love learning, but you can, learn and you can I can still learn biology I can still take all the biology classes I want I can still read all the biology books I want I don't need to go to med school though to do it you know to to find what what interests me and I don't need to spend 12 more years of my life slaving away I mean man I've just read so many articles about physician burnout and you know how all these young doctors retire within like five to six years because they're just burnt out. It's like they've, and they've missed out on, they feel like they've missed out on so much of life. And I'm like, I don't want to feel that way. Like I want to feel like I've really, I have lived a balanced life where I've enjoyed and not put off any part of living. And I just, I want a job now that I can, or a career, I guess, where that, that allows me to do and live that kind of lifestyle. What does that look like? I don't know. I'm kind of looking, I've always loved stats and I love reading the news and pretty involved in kind of like the stock market and all that stuff. So I'd love to be maybe like a financial analyst, go into some sort of business or maybe even, um, I like computers, so, you know, co- um, I don't know about coding, but maybe like cybersecurity, um, stuff like that. So. And how will that help you see the world? Do you get to make your own schedule with those professions? Yeah. Or? So, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, financial analyst or any of those jobs, it's like you can work early hours in the morning, you have the rest of your day, you know, you don't have to work, you know, five days a week. I don't know. I just don't want to, I don't want to be, nor I don't want to be stuck in an office, first of all. So I do need to find a job where I can't, I don't, I can work kind of remotely from anywhere. The office setting doesn't really interest me, but yeah, to be able to travel, bring your laptop and, and work from there is kind of, kind of the job that I'm going for. So where would you want to go first? travel mm-hmm. oh man i want to go to new zealand so badly so so badly why is that oh it's just so it just seems so beautiful i'm like man have you seen lord of the rings like come on <laughs> like why would you not want to go to new zealand <laughs> but yeah i don't know it's just like a super cool island beautiful setting like all the agriculture food just yeah you know and then kind of hop skip jump you know maybe hit australia and then you're all right there by indonesia all those places there so yeah. What is it about traveling that lights the fire beneath you? Like, why do you like it so much? I get, it comes back down to just 
the different, like being introduced to the different perspectives and different lifestyles of people around the world. I loved, I loved going to, you know, Europe. And I would say one of my favorite countries I've been to is Germany, just because the culture and the way people live and the ideals that people live by and what's important to them is so cool and so unique. And we live, Americans live in like this, such a bubble of like, America is the best. America is the best. Like all these other countries, they suck. I'm like, no, I'm like, have you been to any of these other countries? It's like, I got to sit down with my, um, my cousin in Germany and her fiance who's German. And he, he was just baffled when we were talking about, you know, Americans and American politics and how, you know, we spend so much money on healthcare yet, you know, it's not anywhere near their healthcare there. Like we, they don't have to pay out of pocket for anything. Like it's part of their taxes and they, you know, can have anything they want. It's like the whole idea in America, it's like, oh my God, you can't afford insulin. Like you're probably going to die. Like you, you can't afford, you know, like how crazy is that? I'm like the, the insulin was, was sold. The guy who made insulin was sold for the patent was sold for a dollar because he wanted people to live. And now it's like America has let, you know, corporations. And I mean, I could, I could talk about this for days, but we've just allowed it to be so monetized and just, it's so greedy and disgusting. American healthcare is so gross to me. Like it it really is. And like the fact that you're, we have so much wealth in this country, it's, it's absurd. And the fact that you're like, oh, you can't afford to live, like you can't afford insulin. So you deserve to die. That's like, that's what, that's what we're saying to people. And it's, it's so corrupt and gross. And so, I don't know. I have a lot of issues with, with, uh, the way people view the world, but I think traveling for sure. And being exposed to those ideas like is super enlightening. And it's like, you don't have to live like this. It's very selfish. It's a very selfish mindset. And I, but it's also, you know, you look on the news and all these ideas are peddled that, you know, Oh, it's, you know, it's going to cost us more. And you know, you're paying for people who they're not going to work now, or, you know, they're not going to contribute to society, whatever. It's like, what? I don't know, man. It's like, I, I work with I my work. Like this lady is, 40 years old and working at this job and hates her life as well, just as much as I did there. And she says, well, I can't leave because they give me health care and, and for my family, they give me health care for my family. And I'm like, that is so terrible. Like you would literally leave in a heartbeat if you didn't have to worry about health care for your family. You know, like, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy concept that you go to other countries and it's not even on their mind because their government provides it for them. You know, it's like, why do we pay taxes? What do we pay taxes for? We spend, I don't know. I don't want to make this political. So I should probably, I'm like, you should probably add all this out. But I'm like. <laughs> That's good stuff. Like, That's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, but I'm like, we spend net, we spend more money than the next five countries on our, on our military. And like, you know, I was reading, you know, 80% of our, mili- all of our military supplies when that comes to like aircraft, warcraft, all of that stuff is not even ready to ro- roll out if we did, if we did go to war. Only 20% of it is functioning. It's like, what do we spend all of our money on? It's absolutely insane. It costs it costs, you know, 18 grand to outfit one soldier. It's absolutely insane. And it's like, what's this idea of like having a big military? Like the, the, what is the future of warfare too? It's like, you're spending money on all this stuff. It's like, if we did have war, would it really look like that? You know, it's like, it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's it's been more digital more than anything. And the whole like guns and like invading is very antiquated nowadays. It is. Yeah. I'm like, it's all going to be, yeah. Cyber, cyber warfare for sure. Mm -hmm. Cyber or biological that's technology has come a long way and it's in some ways it's come to help and others has come to hurt harm and you see that both ways yeah yeah but, so yeah, yeah that's why you like traveling <laughs> but yeah but yeah that's why i like traveling because it enlightens you to yeah so yeah just search of it i can uh, recently say i love traveling out because it really exposes you to different mindsets of the world and you know how how people live and, and the food and the culture and the music and how people life and like they live and they party and how they interact with people like Germans are like some of the most friendly people. Like you would just like, they just come up to you and just chat to you. Like you're sitting at a bar and like, they'll just chat to you, talk to you. Like they want to know everything about you They're, you know? And I think one thing that's really cool about Germany too, is they have this whole, you know, the, with the whole Nazi, you know, past there, they've, they've taken their past and learned their lesson. They emphasize, you know, what Hitler did and it's important that every kid knows what they did and they're super anti you know fascist and anti you know the whole Nazi party there 
and you know as a result it's some of the kindest most welcoming people there i've had i've had a bunch of friends who um one of my friends was a foreign exchange student at olu and she told me that was her favorite place to travel of all the places too because she experienced absolutely no racism there hmm. and she was i mean she was from korea but um it's cool though it's cool how you know you can see how societies work and what kind of you can find a place that you know america we kind of get stuck you're like oh people are like i'm gonna live and die here where i was born it's like well come on man like you know you never you never maybe experienced or traveled anywhere else you don't know what it's like i'm like you might find a fit where you're like oh my god this is where i was meant to be like these people the society totally fits like the ideals and mindset that i have and that i want to i want to live and be a part of it like how cool is that so yeah. well i love traveling yeah i could easily live somewhere else i would love to live other hop around and live, you know, a few months out of the year in different countries. So I could definitely see you doing that for sure. That's like you, it's your personality, give or take. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, we're kind of doing the end of the interview here. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much, Savannah. Um, real fast. What is one takeaway you want somebody to take from this interview? Um, I just want to like, you have, con- I think my biggest point in life is like you have control over your own mindset. Like you don't have control over life. You don't have control over things that happen, but you have so much control over how you see life and how you want to respond to things that happen to you. Like that is all in your control. That's awesome. I love that. You've emphasized that multiple times throughout this entire interview. Fantastic. That's how you know it's real. Uh, Where can they find you? Where can people find you? On the streets. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what do you mean? Like, you want me to like my, my Instagram, what are, what are you feel comfortable doing? Oh, sure. Uh, sure. I'll, I'll throw out my Instagram here. Let me see. I don't even know what my handle is. Let me check it. Um, underscore Savannah, two H's and, or two N's and an H and then Brown underscore. Love it. There you have it folks. <laughs> That's your Instagram handle. If you want to follow her, um, she does occasionally post some really cool stories on there every once in a while. It's few and far between, but it's cool. Um, but yeah. 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 Not, not huge on Instagram, but yeah. <laughs> Other than that, Savannah, thank you so much. I'd love talking with you. We should do this again for sure. This has been a lot of fun. I learned a lot, a lot of good conversation. It wasn't so much like a thing about your life as it was about perspectives on different things on life. That's really cool. And I loved it. Thank you for coming. Mm. On. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye. Sav. Bye. <laughs> All right, everyone, that was episode seven with Savannah Brown. Hope you guys enjoyed. Like I mentioned before, I would love to get Savannah back on again just because talking to her is always a good time. Like I said, the perspective, the things I've learned through this podcast that I can definitely integrate into my life is immense. Um, She talks a lot about control and how you can't control a lot, and that's so true. And that often gets lost in translation in the world today people's anxiety and depression and just negative thought processes resolve revolve around the fact that they need control and the truth of the matter is you can't control a lot of life what you can't control is how you deal with it and she talks about that at length in this in this interview and i hope you guys take that into account and take that to heart um yeah definitely gonna have savannah back on sometime soon but other than that if you guys enjoyed please share this episode with friends or family um follow us on tiktok on um twitter on instagram all the above give us a like on apple Podcasts. give us a review um we're also on spotify and anchor so you guys want to be on send me a dm other than that hope you guys enjoyed and have a great rest of your week